Right, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to grab them and turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, we're right in the middle of a seven-week series we're calling The Kingdom Project. And today, uh, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite subjects as it relates to the kingdom, and that is evangelism, telling others about the good news of the kingdom. If you're taking notes, as I always encourage you to, the title of the message today is Bringing People in to the kingdom. Now, I've told you before that I have a massive amount of what is called FOMO, all right? The fear of missing out. Uh, You have no idea how hard it is for me to study, to write a sermon. I've got a nice little study that I can go into uh, here at the church. Uh, I've got a few different places at the Lanier Library that I can break away and go study, but you have no idea how hard it is to try to write Uh, for me to hear people talking in the background, okay? Uh, Because I gotta get up and go see what they're talking about. They may be thinking about doing something that I need to be a part of, okay? They may be planning something that I need to be in on. Uh, This is FOMO, it's the fear of missing out in the personality uh, types and traits. I've had to take a couple of different assessments through the years, whether it was working in my master's or doctorate, whatever it may be. And every time I've taken this, Uh, It's come back the same, right? You have the lion types. Those are the decisive, strong-willed, Rome wasn't built in a day because they weren't there kind of people, okay? Uh, You've got the otters. These are the outgoing, friendly, all over the place kind of people. You've got the beavers. These are the more analytical, organized, analytical, systematized types. You have the golden retriever. These are the more loyal, supportive calm types, and every time I've taken the test, it never fails, I come back, I'm kind of an otter with a mane, all right? Uh, I, uh, I'm friendly, I'm outgoing, a little bit of lying comes out sometimes, depending on what we're talking about, what we're doing, and I say all of this out at the introduction of this message, because as we're talking about the kingdom, Jesus today, in a parable that he gives, he talks about the kingdom and describes it as being a party. And this may be one of the reasons that I love uh, this kingdom idea so much because if there's anything I don't want to miss out on, it is a good party. Now, before we read this passage of scripture, I want you to really think on this. I want to let your mind go there. Really consider the idea of the kingdom being a party, a celebration. Now, you know what this is like. Tonight is the Super Bowl. And many of you are planning a party, or you're going to go to a party, and you know what it's like. At this party, I mean, it's a celebration, and we're going to count how many times they show Taylor Swift, all right? That's a bunch of teenage boys, okay? Little Swifties up there. We're going we're gonna to watch Usher at halftime, at least some will. We've got Mahomes versus Purdy. It's going to be a good game, and we know what a party is like. There's going to be food and fun. There's going to be laughter. And Jesus relates the kingdom, what we've been talking about in this whole series, the kingdom of God, as being like a party. Just let the reality of that whole idea set in. The kingdom life should be a fun life. It should be joyous. Celebratory, in a word, it should be full of life. 
After all, Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life in its fullest. Now, remember when we talk about the kingdom of God, we defined it as the rule and realm of God's over his people. And so we are living under his rule, under his realm, and we said it has an already not yet element to it. In other words, it's already taking place, the kingdom of God. When we enter into a relationship with him, when we are born again, when we become kingdom citizens, I mean, just think about the life that that gives. We have our sins forgiven. Uh, We are made right with God. We have a purpose for living. God gives us his Holy Spirit, and now we have someone in us that helps us as problems and struggles and issues in life come along the way as Christians. I mean, we ought to be the most joy-filled, happy, optimistic, full of life people that this world has ever seen. And so question for you, kingdom citizens, does this describe you? Full of life, full of joy, constant negativity, Consistent cynicism, a critical and suspect spirit should not describe a citizen of the kingdom of God. Now, you don't have to be up every day, but you certainly don't need to be Eeyore every day either. The kingdom life is a joyful life. Celebratory now, and as Jesus teaches in this parable today, when he brings his eternal party to earth, heaven on earth, one day in the future kingdom, where we will live under his rule and reign forever and ever and ever, it's going to be a celebration. It's going to be a good time. And if there's anything that God doesn't want, he doesn't want you, whether you're a lion, an otter, a beaver, or a golden retriever, He doesn't want you to miss out on this party. The kingdom is for you. Let's look at this parable together. It starts in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 12. The Bible says this. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who had reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who are invited shall taste my banquet. 
Now, Jesus has been invited over to the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees. It is a dinner party, a celebration. And evidently, this host was relatively wealthy because he could afford to feed guests and he could afford a home to accommodate, accommodate all of the guests that are coming over. And if you notice the context, they're dining with Jesus. Look at verse 1 of Luke 14. One Sabbath, he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees and they were watching him carefully. So these Pharisees have Jesus over and they know who Jesus is. They've observed Jesus doing miracles. They've listened to him teach, and they are watching him carefully. They want to see if Jesus trips up, if he breaks any of their man-made rules and traditions. They are watching him, seeing if there's some kind of evidence that they can gather in order to use against him in the future. I think it's important to note here that Jesus, as you read the Scriptures... He never refused an opportunity to dine with someone who invited him over. Whether it was tax collectors and sinners, or whether it was wealthy religious people like this Pharisee, Jesus was no respecter of persons. We never see any time in Scripture where Jesus was invited over that he said no to the invitation. That's important because Jesus is the Savior of all people, and therefore he went to all people regardless of their social standing or pedigree. And so he's at this dinner, and these Pharisees and scribes are watching him closely and they begin to take their seats at the dinner table and Jesus just uses this thinking it's the perfect time to teach them about the kingdom. And he said, verse 12, he said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And so Jesus begins by exposing the hypocrisy of this host in a very subtle kind of way. There's a suggestion on the part of Jesus that this host has invited those to the party that can benefit him, that can speak well of him. It's kind of a, I scratch your back, you scratch mine mentality. He invites people who are like him and that like him that can speak positive of him. And there's this expectation that there will be a personal reciprocal return to him somewhere down the line. He's only inviting those that can do something for him. And Jesus rebukes this host for what is taking place. Now, I want you to remember this whole idea of a banquet is about the kingdom of God. And the master of the house is a picture of God himself. He's the ultimate host. And I want you to think about the way that God treated us. He invited us to his party and it's not because we could do anything for him. We are a recipient of his mercy and his grace and his goodness and his kindness. In fact, verse number 13, we are the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind mentioned here. And so I want you to notice who Jesus says invite to the party. There is an emphasis 
on the broken, the lowly, the humble. There's especially a place at the party for them. Now at this point in the dinner, you could cut the tension with a knife. Because none of those people that Jesus just mentioned are at the party. And so Jesus has just rebuked the host of the party. If you were to read this passage in its context, verses 7 through 11, he rebuked the guests that have already sat down because they were clamoring to be next to the host because that was a position of power. And I say all this just to say that Jesus is a bit more bold than I would be in this situation. Like if I was a disciple, I would be looking at the other disciples thinking we need to take Jesus to an etiquette course, okay? Like he is using the worst manners. Jesus, every party has a pooper and you are being the party pooper right now. Like is there a local cotillion class in all of Israel that we can sign Jesus up for? We get to verse 15, and here's someone that I can identify with because I'm a peacemaker. And evidently, this guy, he doesn't like a lot of tension in the room. He doesn't like a lot of conflict. And so this nervous guest just kind of speaks up. Look at verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. I love this guy. No awkward silence here. He's just going to speak up. Blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom. And the insinuation here, what he's saying is, hey, let's all get along. We're all gonna be in the kingdom. Blessed is everybody there. And he was sure because verse three tells us it was all Pharisees and scribes at the dinner. He was sure if anybody was gonna be in the future kingdom party, it was gonna be him and his buddies because again, they knew the law backwards and forwards. They were Israel's chosen. If anybody was invited to the party, if anybody could be confident they were gonna be in the future kingdom, it was them. And yet Jesus, in this moment, begins to tell a story. And this parable that he speaks, he explains just the opposite that there are not gonna be people in the kingdom that assume that they're gonna be there. And there are gonna be a whole bunch of people in the kingdom that you never imagined in a million years would be there. Look at what he says in verse 16. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Now this is a big party, God is in the process of hosting a big party. And again, eventually it's going to be an earthly kingdom party where we will live and rule and reign, party forever with God. That's what's going to happen. And the Bible says many have been invited into this party this past week, just yesterday. I was invited up to Detroit. I'd never been to Detroit before and wanted to go. Uh, As part of our giving here at the church, we have a ministry called CF Connect where we work with church planners all over North America in cities just like Detroit. And we're starting a new initiative where we're trying to help urban pastors who are in these major cities that don't have the resourcing and the funding and the networks that many of the other pastors in the suburbs have. And so I was going to meet with a group of these 
pastors in the city. They were having a, a, a luncheon yesterday celebrating Black History Month and just some of the leaders that were in their cities. And uh, I got to see their churches. I got to attend this luncheon. And they took me on a tour of Detroit. And I got to go to Motown. And it was awesome. Hitsville, USA. I mean, you go to this place, it's just a little home. And yet this is where Barry Gordy Jr. started the label Motown. And you're in the actual place where Stevie Wonder ordered Baby Ruth candy bars. You're in the place where Diana Ross and the Supremes recorded their albums. You're in the place where Smokey Robinson got his start. Lionel Richie, the Jackson Five, the Temptations. It was unbelievable. You go down to the exact studio and I sang my girl to myself right where it was recorded. <laughs> I sang my girl in the same studio where it was recorded. It was awesome. And they took us by Barry Gordy's house when it was there in the late 60s and 70s. And it, it's it's all fenced up and boarded up now, but you could tell, man, it was a happening place. And they said Barry Gordy Jr. used to have all these parties. He would never close down the studio because if an artist wanted to go in at two or three in the morning, they had their creative juices flowing, he wanted them to work on it. And so he was always having people over at his house. He has this huge little house, and there's a, there's a tunnel underneath it that goes to the pool house and the party house out to the side. I mean, some epic parties in the 60s and 70s. Always inviting people over. Well, that's kind of what we've got going on here. God's got an epic party going. And just like in our day to day, when there's a party, we send out RSVP, save the dates, if you will, and you turn your RSVP in, you make your reservation for the party. And then in, in the Bible days, on the day of the actual event, the master of the house who was planning the party and throwing the party, he would send his servant out to all of those who received the invitation and said, look, the arrangements They've been made. The part, it's almost about to start. Get your stuff and let's go. And that's what we see taking place starting in verse 17. At that time for the banquet, at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. Commentator Leon Morris calls this the parable of excuses. And all of these excuses have one thing in common. They are absolutely pathetic, Okay. Look at person number one's excuse. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused, all right? Pathetic excuse number one. Who buys a field without first seeing it? It's also dinner time, it's night. So you can't even examine the field anyway. Pathetic excuse number one. Pathetic excuse number two. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Again, lame excuse. Five yoke of oxen in that day represented two and a half years worth of salary. I assure you, if somebody's footing that bill, they're checking out them oxen before they buy it. So it's just a, a bad excuse. Essentially what these two people are saying is I'm too busy to come to your party. I got other things going on. Bottom line is it's not important to me. And then you have the lamest of the lame excuses. This is person number three. Look at what he says there in verse 20. I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. He blames his wife. 
Guys, you know he hadn't been married long because he hadn't learned his lesson yet. And you can blame your kids, all right, all day long. I gotta put them to bed, I gotta go, you know, that's fine. But you don't blame your wife. Uh, one uh, pastor that preached this message, he said sarcastically, he said, of course we know, talking about how lame this guy's excuse is, of course we know that wives hate to get dressed up and they hate to go to free parties and they hate to eat lots of great food and they hate to interact with lots of other people. They just hate it. What a bad, lame, pathetic excuse. And I've just got to ask in this moment, practical question of application here. There are some of you that have never entered the kingdom of God. You are not a citizen of the kingdom. And my question for you is, what excuse are you using for not wanting to come to the kingdom? Some of you have never Receive Christ into your life. You've never said yes to the king. What excuse are you using? And some of you are thinking, I don't have excuses. I have reasons that I'm not. Billy Sunday was an evangelist in the early 1900s. He was fond of saying that an excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. So let's call it what it is today. There's any place we can be honest, it's the church. What, not reason, what excuses are you using to say no to this invitation that God is extending into this eternal celebration to come? There's an urgency here. Verse 17, come now, present tense. Everything is ready. Are you too tied up with business like man number one and two got too many things going on in your life to make this all important decision? Are you preoccupied with the possessions of life? What we talked about two weeks ago, Matthew chapter 13, life's worries and riches and pleasures is choking the seed of the word of the kingdom so that it's not taking root and producing fruit in your life? Is it like guy number three? Marriage and family, that's your priority and it's keeping you from turning the leadership and lordship of your life over to Jesus? Do you just need more evidence? Listen, what more do you need than that your heart is beating and your lungs are taking in oxygen this morning? None of, none of you asked for that to happen. That's God's grace to you. Entering into a relationship with Jesus is always gonna take a step of faith. We can't get caught up in anything. We can't let anything distract us or keep us from accepting God's invitation to his party in any excuse. Listen, when you stand before God and you get a glimpse of the party that you will be missing out on, every excuse you have will be lame and pathetic. It'll be like, not taking your friends up on that Super Bowl party night and you go over there late and you're locked out and you look in the window and you see all the fun and you see all the laughter and you see all the joy and you see all the conversation and you can't get in. That's the picture that's being painted here. Everything that seems so important now, all of the priorities that you're putting 
above the kingship of Jesus. What seems so consequential right now will fade away. And the only thing that will matter is what did you do with this RSVP to the kingdom? Did you say yes to it? And let me just say this to all of the kingdom citizens in the room, the Christians. We ought to be living in such a way right now that we are giving people a foretaste of that future kingdom to come. And the way that we live our lives, there ought to be so much joy, so much hope, so much pleasure and happiness in following the Lord and serving him. I'm not saying everything is up. I'm saying in the valleys of life, there's just this deep confidence that God is working his plan and doing his thing. And we trust him. And people ought to look at our lives and say, you know what? I want that. I want that. I don't want to miss out on the kingdom. Are we making it hard? For people to say no to Jesus by how we're living right now. Look at the response of this host when he sees these people that make excuses for why they can't join the kingdom party. Said they were too busy, had too much going on, wasn't a priority for them. Look at the host's response, the second part of verse 21. Then the master of the house became angry. Now again, the master's God, and this is justified anger here. Because he has spared no expense. He's footing the bill. It has cost him to put this party on. And all he has given is lame excuses. It is a trampling of his mercy and his grace and his goodness. And so he says to the servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and there is still room. The master's house is going to be full. The question is, are you going to RSVP to the kingdom party? Now in this context, remember Jesus is speaking to a bunch of Pharisees and scribes. They were God's chosen people, the people of Israel. To them, he had given the law and the prophets. This is who the kingdom was for. Jesus came to them saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His very first message, he says the kingdom is right in front of you. And yet, what did the Jewish people do? What did these religious leaders, scribes, Pharisees do? They rejected Jesus. They gave him excuses. John 1, 11, he came into his own and his own received him not. And so what did God, the master of the house, do? It came to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, to the outsiders, to the blind, the crippled, the poor, the lame. That's who this message is for. And he says, you go into the city and you go into the streets and you get as many people as possible to come and look at how the servant responds. It's probably my favorite verse in this entire parable, verse 22. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and there is still room. There's still room. I love that sentence. There's still room. I love it because I'm reminded as an 11-year-old boy in 1989, when God called me to himself, he told me in a moment, Jared, there's still room for you. And if you're here today 
and you've never received the invitation, I'm telling you, God's using this message to speak to your heart, to tell you there's still room for you, but you've got to RSVP today. There's room for you. We used to sing a song. We used to sing a, a song called There's Room at the Cross for You. Let me just read the first verse of that song in the chorus. The cross upon which Jesus died is a shelter in which we can hide. And it's grace so free is sufficient for me and deep as this fountain as wide as the sea. Here's the chorus. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. There is so much room at the cross for you to come today. Audio adrenaline, those great theologians, 90s Christian band, you know what I'm saying? Said it's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. The words of the Scottish theologian, Thomas Boston, this is a comfortable word. For those who have not yet complied with the invitations of the gospel, the doors are not yet shut, and such sinners may yet have access to Christ. And look, well, look at what happens next. It just gets better. Verse 23, the master said to the servant, okay, that's already happened. You go out to the highways and the hedges, and you compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. The master says, I'll tell you what you do. You go into the highways and the hedges. You go into the hard places, the dark places, the lonely places. And you grab those who are crippled and blind and lame, the lowly, the broken, the hurting, the outsiders, any of those that don't think the kingdom is for them, that's where you go. And you're gonna have to compel them to come because the party's so good and the invitation's so great, they're not gonna believe it's for them. And so you gotta compel them. And this is why we see in the dark places in the world, the gospel burning like wildfire and spreading. Why? Because it's in the darkened, broke places that they hear the good news of the kingdom and they say, I want that. It's here in the United States where we have everything. We say, I don't need the kingdom. I could throw my own party. I got my own resources. What is that to me? No thanks. I'm good. And the reality is, many people lose out on their opportunity for the kingdom, not because they're not invited, but because they have other stuff going on and they refuse the invitation. At the end of the day, living under the kingship of Jesus is just not that important to them. J.C. Ryle was an Anglican bishop in the late 1800s. He says, there is nothing wanting, listen to this quote, there is nothing wanting on God's part for the salvation of man. If man is not saved, the fault is not on God's side. The Father is ready to receive all who come to him by Christ. The Son is ready to cleanse all from their sins who apply to him by faith. The Spirit is ready to come to all who ask for him. There is an infinite willingness in God to save man if man is only willing to be saved. Daryl Bach, professor of New Testament, Dallas Theological Seminary, he has a commentary on Luke and he says this regarding this parable, the essential points in his teaching are that no man can enter the kingdom without the invitation of God and that no man can remain outside it but by his deliberate choice. 
Have you RSVP'd to the kingdom? This is where the party is. I mean, that, you think following Jesus, that's going to lock you down? It's going to free you up. It's going to give you a, a, a deep joy that you've never experienced before. Sin's fun for a season, but following Jesus, it's fun through all seasons. This is where the life is at. And he says, come into the kingdom. Jimmy Force, this is what we have to be about. We advance the kingdom, and how do we do it? We depopulate the kingdom of darkness, and we populate the kingdom of heaven. And so the application is twofold. First, accept God's invitation. You're here today, and you've got competing priorities. You've never said yes to God. You've never received his invitation to the kingdom. Today is the day, and you have to respond. You must respond. You've got an RSVP now, and you get a glimpse of the future party to come. But here's the deal. That future party to come, and this is important, that future party to come, it could start any minute. Any minute. Jesus could return. And that future party starts. And what you do with the RSVP that's going out right now determines whether or not you're in the future kingdom. The Bible says today, today, there's a sense of urgency. Today is the day of salvation. Don't miss out on this party. Accept God's invitation to life. Secondly, if you've accepted the invitation and you're a citizen of the kingdom, here's your application. Extend God's invitation. In a very real way, we are the servants in this parable. Uh, Jesus was, of course, the first servant, telling people that the kingdom would come. When he ascended, he gives us his Holy Spirit, and now we take on this responsibility. This is our stewardship. We are to go into the highways and hedges and the cities, anybody that will listen to our voice, and we are to compel people to come into the kingdom. We are to extend to them this great kingdom invitation. This is our mission. We're going to talk about this in the next few weeks. How do we do this? What does it look like to use our kingdom gifts for a kingdom purpose, to pray kingdom prayer so that God empowers everything that we choose to do and how we choose to live? But let me just say as we bring this message to a close, listen, there is no invitation like this invitation. There's no party like this party. Scripture speaks to it a couple of times. Revelation 19 calls it the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be a huge party, a huge reception. But, but probably the best description of this future, eternal kingdom party to come is found way back in Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah chapter 25. And so I want to read this passage as we close today. Listen to God's word describing this party and who would want to extend this invitation to others. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says. On this mountain, talking about Zion, where the presence of God dwelled, essentially this party, the presence of God is gonna be there all the time, never to leave us. The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow. Perry's ain't gonna have anything on this, all right? Taste of Texas, nothing on this. Aged wine will be refined, okay? 
This was before bottled Coke Zero was founded, all right? So maybe it's going to be ice cold Coke Zero. Look at verse 7. And he will swallow up on this mountain where the presence of God resides, the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. What is that veil? It is the veil of the sin, of the curse of sin and death. And he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all of the earth for the Lord has spoken and it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. What a party. Talk about FOMO. You do not want to miss out on this. Champion Force, this is why we give. This is why we go. This is why we do whatever it takes to extend this invitation so that as many people as possible are in that eternal party with us forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforce.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.